This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hello and welcome to our Smarter Lawcast podcast series on being ESGYs. My name is Meg Lee and I'm the co-lead of Hall & Wilcox's Environmental, Social and Governance ESG industry group. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land from which I'm speaking today, which is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging and to any Indigenous people listening today. Well, today I'm joined by my colleague, Jacob Eulens, Jake, uh, to discuss the latest in greenwashing. Welcome, Jake. Thanks for uh, having me, Meg. Excellent. Now, Jake, greenwashing is attracting close regulatory scrutiny. There's been a lot of media releases and a lot of noise going on. So today we wanted to have a bit of a chat about what's going on. Um, Both ASIC and the ACCC have prioritised investigating and taking enforcement action in connection with misleading disclosures or marketing in relation to ESG issues. So to start with, can you give us an overview of what the regulators are focusing on specifically in this area? Sure, and perhaps I can start by explaining what's meant by greenwashing from a regulatory perspective and why this is a key regulatory priority. So ASIC, the corporate regulator, defines greenwashing in relation to investments as the practice of misrepresenting uh, the extent to which a financial product or investment strategy is environmentally friendly, sustainable or ethical. So it's important to note that misrepresenting in this context doesn't necessarily involve a conscious or deliberate misstatement. So a company may have a genuine belief that a statement concerning, uh, for example, its sustainability targets is truthful, but may nevertheless be taken to have breached the law uh, if there's an insufficient factual basis for that statement insofar as it concerns future matters. Now, now Essex noted that the global trend of capital markets following sustainability concerns and uh, with ESG risks and opportunities uh, becoming increasingly uh, important to investors and other stakeholders. So, uh, as you know, Meg, ESG investments growing very rapidly and sustainability labelled investments have more than doubled in the past few years in Australia alone. And Uh, There's been some uh, projections about ESG assets uh, being forecast globally to exceed $52 trillion by 2025, which would make them comprise a third of total assets under management. And It's been exponential, hasn't it, the growth in the last few years? uh, Yeah, yeah, with with that increased demand for and availability of ESG financial products comes this greater increasing risk of, of greenwashing and uh, for example, some of, uh, there's been concerns raised that some 40% of net zero claims made by businesses internationally are uh, false or inaccurate, and uh, regulators are concerned that this might be even higher in Australia. I think, yeah, that's definitely been one of the real triggers, I think, for the for the focus on it, because there's so much pressure to announce these net zero targets, yet, you know, there's a lot of scientific uncertainty and in, in, in how people are actually going to get there. So making those sort of predictions and targets um, comes with, well, needs to come with a warning, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it does. And um, the, the regulators are very attuned to, uh, to this risk. And in recent times, ASIC, for example, is... Um, 
released its 2022 to 26 corporate plan um, and last month updated its uh, list of enforcement priorities for 2023 to specifically call uh, misleading statements concerning sustainable fin finance and, and greenwashing in particular, uh, as well as other misleading conduct concerning investment products and superannuation, which can also encompass uh, similar ESG uh, considerations. Um, yeah, so, so it's not just the ESG funds, it's other funds that might be disclosing their ESG screening process, for example, or? Absolutely, or, or even um, to the extent uh, ESG considerations are taken into account uh, in, in terms of uh, the composition of the, of the investment product in question uh, for funds that aren't ESG funds, mm. that is something that's increasingly being focused on um, by ASIC. And look, the ACCC as well, moving away from investment funds, uh, ACCC's recognised the, the risk of businesses falsely promoting environmental or green uh, credentials to capitalise on these uh, changes in consumer uh, preferences. And so the, the ACCC's compliance and enforcement priorities for 2022 to 23 specifically call out consumer and fair trade uh, issues in uh, ESG matters. And they've been active in recent months targeting uh, particular sectors, which include energy, vehicles, household products and appliances, food and drink packaging and, and, and clothing in, in connection with these sorts of investigations. So they've announced their priorities and, and started investigating, but what sort of guidance have they been giving to people? Yeah, so look, the general statements that uh, the regulators have been uh, making about uh, their concerns are around the use of broad terms like uh, environmentally friendly, green, ESG, uh, mm -hmm. sustainable, and, and regulators have indicated that they are concerned that those types of claims uh, around products uh, are, are vague and general mm. lack content. And so if those sorts of statements are to be used, there has to be some further explanation provided of what those words mean in the particular case. And the other thing that uh, the regulators have been focusing on is the, the need to have uh, you know, real evidence you know, and, and rigorous uh, processes that have uh, been used to support those claims. So regulatory uh, regulatory expectations about the the degree of rigor and the amount of evidence that you need to have in support of these types of ESG claims which in the past might have just been treated uh, as um, as puffery or statements that that don't really have any content now they are scrutinized much more closely and, and that's only increasing and in terms of the, the formal uh, guidance that's been provided, ASIC's produced an information sheet uh, some months ago called Info 271. Yeah. It's a very helpful guide in terms of understanding ASIC's perspective on ESG disclosures and representations in the financial services context. And the ACCC, for its part, has indicated it will be producing guidelines around ESG disclosures. But uh, essentially what the ACCC's uh stated is that it expects that any statements about products have to be clear, defined, limited in their claims, and um, there must always be strong verification uh, materials. And, and again, um, reiterating that the evidence that uh, supports the claims needs to be uh, scientific and rigorous. Mm, yeah, it, make, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Um, so what sort of actions have the regulators started to take or have, have you seen in, in this space? 
So, look, greenwashing from a legal perspective is largely a matter that involves the law of misleading or deceptive conduct. So this isn't new legislation. Not, yeah, yeah. And the regulators have these broad statutory powers to, to deal with um, that conduct. And the breadth of the remedies that, that can be pursued so range from uh, administrative uh, remedies, uh, issuing infringement notices, uh, enforceable undertakings, and then sort of at the more uh, severe end, civil penalty uh, actions against um, against controversy. In terms of uh, where things have got to to date, ASIC has issued infringement notices to address greenwashing concerns, but has stated publicly that in cases where the misstatement in question is deliberate rather than advert inadvertent, uh, it can be expected that a more um, uh, assertive or um, robust uh, regulatory response will uh, will follow. And so, the infringement notices that have been issued today, so they have they required you know specific redress to be taken, and 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 how's that sort of panned out? Yeah, so the infringement notice process is essentially uh, colloquially known as speeding fines. So they're yeah. a relatively low-level uh, remedy in the sense that they provide an opportunity for the regulator to um, impose a sanction, which is the payment of a, 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 a fixed amount for the particular conduct in question, and then the payment of that infringement notice by the, uh, the, the regulated entity uh, constitutes the resolution of, of ASIC's concerns in that regard. So on the scale of, I guess, seriousness, um, it, it's, a, it's a lower order remedy, but uh, nonetheless, it's, uh, it's something that a lot of businesses and, and funds would be particularly concerned about because the, uh, these types of issues tend to get a lot of publicity, which uh, can far exceed the mm, financial the impact of the, uh, of, the, of the fine being imposed. Mm. And do the infringement notices, I'm just thinking about, you know, um, from the environment regulatory um, perspective, usually require some action be taken as well to to um, to address the, the issue that's being penalised. Do, do the notices do that or is, is it just a consequence of you've been you've been pinned for this this action um, so it makes sense to fix it before you get pinned again or how, how does that, yeah, how does that look, work? A lot of the time, by, by, by the time it gets to a uh, to, to the issuing of an infringement notice, the, the conduct's already been addressed in, in yeah. terms of, you know, disclosure documentation's been amended, uh, supplementary PDSs have been issued for financial products, um, ads have been taken down, so on and so forth. Um, but there is, of course, scope for ASIC um, and, and, and indeed the ACCC to uh, engage with uh, the, the regulated uh, population to enter into enforceable undertakings. So enforceable undertakings would be typically a, a, a way that ASIC uh, uses uh, it uses these enforceable undertakings to guide future action as mm. opposed to penalising past action. So, again, ASIC's uh, committed to this uh, idea that it's got a, a full, uh, broad range of items in its uh, and, and, and remedies in its regulatory toolkit yeah. and said it's going to be using uh, those uh, different tools, if you like, uh, depending on the nature of the case. So there may be instances where forcible undertaking is considered appropriate because of the risk of uh, future uh, mm. such instances. And in other cases, it may be that, that an infringement notice dealing with the consequences of a past issue is, is more appropriate. And then, of course, there's always the, um, the more significant remedies, uh, civil penalty uh, proceedings, which... which 
can generally be expected to be reserved for cases where there's um, deliberate or repeated misconduct and uh, substantial uh, investor or consumer harm. Mm. <clears throat> so what are your recommendations, Jake, in terms of what companies should be doing to minimise the risks of, of greenwashing? Uh, look, I think firstly, recognising that this is uh, such a, a rapidly changing space and what that means is that uh, you need to keep up with public and regulatory expectations and including being across uh, developments with respect to international standards. And the point there is to recognise that something that might have been acceptable uh, two or three years ago mm -hmm. in terms of you know, how you describe products and you know, that sort of generality uh, you can't assume that that will be the same now. And, and similarly, what, what is appropriate or considered appropriate now, might, that might change in a couple of years' time. So continuing to, to watch this space and, and, and being aware of how these expectations are changing, bear in mind, they, these aren't changes to the law. They are simply mm. changes to the expectations which inform the way in which the regulators in this context are approaching the question of whether there's been a contravention or not. Yes, so it's kind of like the, the industry standard is improving, the benchmark is improving, so... That's right, and, and the regulators... Yeah, the regulators, uh, I guess the, the, the scrutiny that gets applied uh, increases as those uh, uh, as the industry uh, standards uh, change. Um, mm. The other thing, I mentioned Info 271. Um, so in terms of actions that can be taken, the, that information sheet provides uh, a number of useful questions um, that are that can be used to consider when offering or promoting sustainability-related products. So things like, uh, is your product true to label? So in the financial product context, that would mean that uh, investors and, and regulators as well uh, expect a product label to align with the underlying investment strategy. And insofar as there is a misalignment, that needs to be uh, addressed uh, use of vague terminology or jargon, as I mentioned, you need to explain what you actually mean when you're making mm. uh, a statement about a, a product in question. What are you intending to co convey by saying that something is green? And critically, do you have evidence that supports the validity of the claim that you can produce to the regulator when uh, when you receive the, uh, the please explain? And then uh, another one of these questions that's posed in uh, in the info sheet is, uh, are your headline claims potentially misleading? And what this means is that you can't necessarily rely on uh, technical qualifications in the fine print insofar as the overall impression that is conveyed by the use of a broad headline statement may be misleading, notwithstanding that the fine print notes that there are various exceptions and qualifications to the headline statement. So, look, overall, uh, I think we've got to a point now where legal oversight of marketing materials um, that include ESG claims uh, or other representations is, is just becoming increasingly critical and ultimately, when in doubt, seek expert advice. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks, Jake. So any final points to wrap up? I think one of the things you really need to uh, consider is that these sorts of statements, puffery statements about ESG issues and ESG terminology, uh, words like sustainable, uh, responsible, ESG investing, uh, impact and ethical, all of those sorts of terms need to uh, 
be put into their proper context and it needs to be explained what you actually mean when you're making assertions of that kind about uh, ESG matters and do you have clear evidence to back up uh, those claims. Pleasingly, ASIC in particular is making an attempt to engage at an early stage on, on these matters. So in the context of providing input on uh, product disclosure statements uh, for listed funds pr prior to the PDS being issued, that proactive uh, engagement, mm. I think, will, will assist in avoiding the risk of uh, enforcement action down the uh, But of course, enforcement action in this space is a, is a clear regulatory priority as well. And look, just the last point is there's an interesting question about uh, how uh, misleading statements in relation to ESG matters can sound in a financial loss because it may be the case that an investor has been induced to invest in a, uh, a, a an investment product that is uh, said to be more uh, environmentally or uh, sustainable than than it may uh, otherwise have been, but what's the actual loss that's been mm. suffered because you could potentially uh, <laughs> be in a position where there, there's a financial gain. Exactly. Right. And so, of course, con consumer or investor loss isn't actually a requirement for uh, the regulators to take action in relation mm. to this sort of misleading conduct, but it's certainly uh, a relevant consideration with respect or, or should be a relevant consideration with respect to what action the regulators take in a given case. And that, that's mm. one area that I think hasn't yet been uh, been really explored. So uh, watch this space. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting point, but it is ultimately about consumers making informed choices. And I guess if you're, you're not well in or you feel you've been misled, then it, I guess it doesn't matter if you don't, if you make a gain, <laughs> if you make a gain, you've, uh, you know, not made the, the choice that you wanted well, to make. Well, that's right. And certainly the, the, Regulators are approaching this from the perspective of uh, it's not so much about whether there's been a loss, although that, that is a consideration, but uh, if you are saying things that are inaccurate or are not supported in terms of the, having the evidentiary mm -hmm. basis for saying that certain things will happen in future, that, that's prima facie misleading and they are the regulators will be taking action uh, accordingly. And it's just really a question of what that uh, action is and which mm. tool in the toolkit is going to be used to address the particular uh, conduct of concern. Yeah, and look, I think just to, to wrap up as well, that the more guidance that is released, we're, we're looking at... Um, the, the discussion paper coming out on the um, climate-related disclosures, the more guidance internationally that there is, um, you know, as you say, companies need to be on top of all of that and and make sure that their disclosures, you know, meet those those guidelines and and follow those guidelines because that that is the ultimately the the best way of protecting yourself from from being misleading. Well, thanks everyone for listening today and throughout the year. As always, please get in touch with us if you have any questions. You can find our details on our website, which is www.hallandwilcox.com.au or connect with us on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please rate, review and follow our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.